Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the Holodeck. And our preferred podcast providers are iTunes and Spotify. Just search from the Holodeck. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review. We do need those. Hello, David. How are you? How's it going, everybody? All right. You're on the bridge. Correct. Everything, yes, I am. Everything functioning correctly. I'm, I'm not partying with the lower deckers down below. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode titled Lost in Translation, which is the sixth episode of the second season. David, before we get into this episode, I do want to say that uh, if I were to cosplay, because I'm not a cosplayer, but if I were to be a cosplay, my very first cosplay would be zombie Hammer. Yeah, dude, that was, I love those scenes. And especially since I am thankful that we get kind of like some resolution with Hammer, because I'm sorry, from season one, he's one of the standouts of that season. Yeah, it was a shame. It's his death served a greater purpose. Oh, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it was such a loss because I feel like they could have done a whole lot more with that character. Especially when you have the training videos of him. <laughs> yeah. like, I forgot why I loved Hammer so much. <laughs> yeah. But listen, like I always say, if you're going to kill a character make sure it matters and oh, it does matter for yeah. a story, for story aspects, specifically look how they used it in this episode. They used it as motivation for Ahura, which is what it did last season as well. So if you're going to kill a character, make sure it really matters for the progress of the overall story, as well as character development. Well, even more so because like Uhura, the relationship between Uhura and Hammer was Hammer was the mentor. So it's kind of like at season one. Yeah. We kind of got some resolution, but this episode is the one that I feel that we finally get resolution of that relationship of Uhura's where we get to actually see the effects of a death of a character, you know, getting a little snippet in the end of the episode is great, but I appreciate it more when that character's death comes back yeah. and plays more of a role. Front yeah. And center. I agree. If anyone out there ever spots a zombie hammer cosplay, please <laughs> snap a photo and send it to me. I will pay that person 100 dollars <laughs> no not really no, but, really. but i do want some photos please. watch your, now your mailbox is gonna be flooded with like a bunch of things. all right david so overall this is a very strong episode for numerous reasons it shifts rearranges fleshes out and brings together various significant aspects plot aspects from previous episodes while also working on building out uhura as a character and dropping um 
I guess you can say dropping narrative migratory cues in connection to Kirk and his imminent importance to the yes. future of the Enterprise, his relationships with future crew, and giving us time with the actual Prime Universe Kirk. And in doing so, we saw attributes of Kirk that we are familiar with, but it also gave us a deeper look into his private sphere. And that was one of the standout moments. And we're going to break down a lot of that in just a moment. Also, the theme of the episode was 100% classic Trek, at least when taking into account the ideological trappings that are often embedded in the so-called more authentic or traditional Trek narratives. In a Trek book that I'm reading or that I have read, I should say, I actually keep it right next to me when, uh -huh. when I do write-ups on notes and discussion posts because it has a lot of information. It's a wealth of information. It's called Return to Tomorrow, which deals with the making of the motion picture. And it explicitly states that a core tenet of Trek is that the solution to a perceived threat is not to extol violence with your opponent. One of the most prized elements of Star Trek was the tendency for antagonists to be misunderstood as opposed to being malicious. So the key idea here is communication. That's why yes. the season finale of Star Trek Discovery season four worked so well for me because they built this threat of species 10C and you realize that this species was not malicious. There was a miscommunication, which is a core principle that Gene Roddenberry really wanted Star Trek to be built around. That's why the motion picture dealt with that very same thing and the notion of V'ger and the, the miscommunication with this sentient artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So they brought that into this episode. And, and in the end, this is the episode, David, that we really needed. We talked about these this i should say in our last discussion it came at the absolute perfect time moving into the second half of the season it helped with the overall narrative cohesion because it touched on a little bit of everything that we have been given throughout the last five episodes and that's what we needed we needed this episode oh yeah absolutely especially coming off of the what i feel was the i preface by saying i use this term loosely but the weakest episode of the season with uh with the spock episode again i liked the episode the episode was really good but it was very lackluster there was just something about it that just felt off i also feel like it's just where it was positioned yeah. in the show that's why i say this episode came at a perfect time because if they had given us another episode that didn't really bring things together I think there would have been a lot more Star Trek fans sighing at the end of this episode because we would feel a little bit like we're lost in the yeah. midst of a lot of great ideas, whereas nothing and nothing's coming together. And that's what this episode fixed, right? Oh, absolutely. Because now for me, I actually see a path, uh, a, an actual physical path that basically strange new world is traveling. And, you know, Take that into consideration that I honestly feel that this is where the writing team hit their hit, hit the gas pedal and basically started that uphill acceleration again and just took the story when it was kind of middling at this point from the last episode and ramped it up because it said it said 
It brought in elements from the past season. It established more character backgrounds. And to me, by the end of it, I feel I understand the series more because just for me, I we've always had questions the past couple episodes. Well, why isn't Pike more established? Why isn't this being told more? With the story that we got in this episode, I now have this idea that we're building towards the inevitable, which is Kirk, Spock, Uhura, the original crew. Because me and you have talked about it a couple shows ago now. We kind of speculate that maybe this is how they, quote unquote, reboot the original series. Yeah, because Star Trek, or not Star Trek, Captain Kirk seems to be more and more a part of the cast and and pike isn't being phased out this is the episode that i feel pike is almost like the steward he's he's here to basically make sure we get to the point where kirk is going to be taking that seat he had a relevant part to play he had a relevant part to play and it was like now i understand anson mount's point in this one where it was like he's it it doubled down on where we left off with Anson Mount and Pike as a character where it's like Pike is now looking at everyone else's destiny. And he's now kind of like the steward to make of the enterprise to make sure it gets to its final destination. Things happen as they should. Because did you see his face when Kirk walked in? Yes. It was very much knowing. It was knowing. It was a knowing face. Yeah. And it was instead of like of a dread, because you got to also remember that he's already passed thinking about the dread of his fate. His main concern at this point is to make sure the destiny of his crew is goes beyond him. Well, it goes back to stoicism. Like we talked about a couple episodes ago and only fretting over what you can actually control. Yeah. And that's why when he, when Kirk's here, it's not a dread feeling for, for Pike. It's almost like, getting to the inevitable, which is the goal. The goal is to basically get get to the better destiny. Yeah. Did you also see his face when he noticed that Laanne and Kirk knew each other, or at least Laanne knew Kirk? Laanne knew Kirk, He was like, you motorboat and son (laughs) of a bitch. What's been going on behind my back here? (laughs) Not only that, I love the fact that we see more relationship of uh, Kirk and his brother. The, We'll get into it. Yes, oh my God. It was, I was great. I was like, oh, this explains a lot of things. It really does. Okay. So let's get into this. The synopsis of the episode, Uhura seems to be the only one who can hear a strange sound that seems to trigger terrifying hallucinations. The episode was directed by Dan Liu and written by Ornitra Johnson and David Reed. Onitra. I believe that's how you pronounce the name. If it isn't, I apologize. Okay, so yes, David, this episode was pretty great in its designs and functions. Uh, There's something to be said about parallel narratives. So much ground can be covered when an episode is written like this. Pairing Uhura and Kirk together, pairing Una and Pelia, pairing Pike, or actually having Pike be like kind of what you said, like the steward, kind of the guy that just walks and connects all of the narratives together. I mean, that is an excellent way to write an episode. 
But the thing that we're going to talk about first before we move in all those, into all those other aspects is the pairing of Una and Kirk and what it actually did. It helped not only to assist an understanding or coming to know this version of Uhura, who is at a very much younger age than we had originally met her in the original series. And we learn about her past and how it will eventually shape her. And one specific idea that I know you really like, David, you had to, we haven't talked about it yet, but her inability to face death. Yes. It was perfect. It was a perfect theme to use in relation to Kirk. What better character than the one that goes on to cheat death continually continually. and who has oftentimes had had, has had his own difficulties facing unwinnable situations, something that he proudly wears as a badge of honor in later years. And it's one of the things that galvanizes the enterprise crew. When Kirk is the captain, they all Mm -hmm. rally behind him because of his, because of, as funny as it sounds, because of his arrogance, because of his cavalier his nature, bravado, his bravado, they all get behind him. Yeah. That's a mark of a good leader. And that's why it's interesting getting to see Kirk kind of in the early stages of like, he gives the pep talk to Uhura. It doesn't quite hit. It doesn't quite hit because the relationship's not there yet. And both characters are still trying to find themselves. Mm-hmm. And, but you see the, the characteristics. That's why I really appreciate this episode is like, you can see that everyone in strange new worlds understands those legacy characters very well. They have a deep knowledge of Kirk. They have a deep knowledge of not just Kirk Uhura and Spock and all of them. They have a very deep knowledge of well, all of them. I don't know about Uhura yet. And I will say the reason why I don't know, because is there any deep knowledge to really understanding Uhura? Cause that's, Unfortunately, the cons of the time when the original series was produced, we don't really know Uhura. We've well, never the, really come to, like, we know she sings. Yeah. We, we don't really know a whole lot about her personally. We know that basically, at least through the movies, that out of the whole crew, Uhura is the one that's the most emotional. She's the most emotional out of the entire crew. If something bad happens, she's more in touch with her feelings. She is more in touch with her feelings of all the crew, because when something bad happens, especially if you watch the movies and, you know, even some of the older Trek, uh, Trek episodes, Uhura is the one that they always snap to when something bad happens and they, and you can see it, read it in her face that basically it hurts her. Yeah, that uh, has a lot to do with just the time period. It, it does well. with, the, with the time period, yeah, but I like she's the 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 female character. She's so the she's female. the one that we're going to rely on for her emotional um, whatever. I, I can't think of the word connectivity because yeah, they did do that. I remember in the original series a lot. Whenever something like tragic happens, tragic they happens, go to her. Boom, snap to her, and it's like here. I like they take that trope and they're. In a weird sort of way, they're adding to that mythos, that explanation that basically Uhura is the one that's more in touch with feelings and emotions among the whole crew. Yeah, they're taking the little that we know of her. Exactly, and accentuating it. Yes, and making it work with what we do know of her while also using what we know of Kirk to bring them together and show this future partnership that becomes, you know, legendary in years to come because the concept of not liking unwinnable situations 
as we know, is rooted in Kirk's belief in the indomitable human spirit, human spirit and his commitment to finding a way out of seemingly impossible situations. He embodies the, the never say die attitude and believes in pushing the boundaries of what is achievable, even in the face of insurmountable odds. And all of this was utilized to foreshadow Kirk's command style, but also, and more importantly, because of Strange New Worlds and the core cast and the, the, the lead cast, which is Uhura, one of the lead cast members, is to aid Uhura through her grieving process because by the very nature of Kirk's being and ideological outlook, you know, several things are brought to the forefront. Number one, resilience and determination. And yes. These are things that have always been connected to Captain Kirk as a leader and character in Star Trek. A second grouping of themes leadership and inspiration, which we saw play out in the episode. Uhura was able to rise above her current debilitating state by adopting the Kirk method, I guess you could say, and it solved the mystery that was plaguing her and the crew. It shows you the strength of their future team, team. or future partnerships i guess you can say working together and that's why the ending scene to me was so important as well <laughs> to have her spock and kirk all sit together well the the beautiful thing is like we didn't even get the kirk and spock introduction till the very end you know why i like that and i liked because it too it would have been too predictable yeah. if they did it at the beginning it was nice to to have it at the end because as a as a fan and viewer you're almost waiting for it. Like, are they going to meet each other? Yeah. What's what, going on? Because when he was on the bridge, Spock wasn't on the bridge. Yeah. And the, I thought that the only connection we'd have between Kirk and Spock was his comment when he was critiquing Spock's uh, chess, chess skills. skills. Yeah. Where, <laughs> Which was good. I, I love that point because it shows that almost like simmering, uh, it's his competitive nature, competitive nature with yeah. Spock where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, your friend over there blew a move a couple of seconds ago. And I'm like going, the fact that he's watching Spock is just like, I'm like going, yeah, that's, that's a Kirk thing to do. He's competitive. He wants to be the best. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, in this modern age, there is some people that push to that push this idea that being competitive and wanting to be the best is, is sometimes unethical and it's yes. unappealing. It's the mark of toxic masculinity. I think that's embedded in human nature. Isn't that a part of human nature? Yes. In a lot of ways. And to that's be what competitive. If you look at the evolutionary process and this, the idea of, of the survival of the fittest, it, these are all things that function together. Yeah. Sociologically speaking. And that's what, that's what's important with their portrayal of Captain Kirk right now, or right now, Lieutenant Kirk is like you, you you see his actions and you can misconstrue it as quote unquote toxic masculinity but it's also because this is a young captain or this is a young James T Kirk right now he's finding his way to becoming the captain there's nothing wrong with arrogance and, and bravado is, exactly La Anne has arrogance do we point a finger at her she's extremely exactly. arrogant or in even, a lot of the things that she does and says or even by like sports standards look at sports today that is filled with arrogance and basically one-upsmanship 
Yeah. But fist we, pumping, fist pumping, pounding we, of the chest. Yeah. We look at that as a culture and we applaud that. So in a lot of ways, the way they're portraying Kirk at this point is kind of like that. This is what makes him the team captain. This is what makes him when it comes down to it, when we finally get the quote unquote ensemble cast that we all know of characters from the original series. We understand this is why Kirk's in the position he's in because he is, he has that thing that every, uh, all the rest of the crew will galvanize towards and all everyone's laws will be erased because together they will all cover each other. And that's why I really appreciated seeing like the, like you alluded to earlier about like the teaming up of Uhura and Kirk. It was kind of like, yeah, you, you see little tidbits of that chemistry now. And you're like, as a Star Trek fan, you're like, going, okay, you're working up to like what we all will probably all Star Trek fans will hopefully be happy and cry about when they finally see the original crew you know, on the bridge of the enterprise, they'll see Spock, Kirk, Uhura, hopefully Sulu and Chekhov and Scotty. And we'll all be happy. The world will be once again, whole. <laughs> we'll see. I do want to take some time before we get there because I do want the strange new world's crew to have their moment. I'm not in a hurry to get there. I don't mind what they're doing with Kirk. It feels right. How they're doing it feels right. I want to I want to ask you about this because one of the notes that I had for this pertaining to Pike is how long can we how long can we draw out this inevitability that we're going towards well, which technically it has to years. go 8 years, right? I believe it's I'm not sure how much time has passed between Discovery season 2 and Strange World season 1. I don't think a whole lot of time has passed. So I want to say eight years okay, until the incident that renders him disfigured, disfigured and, and handicapped essentially. Yeah. But like, I should just say this interject real second here, Dave, we say a lot that he dies. <laughs> he doesn't. Die. I, I, we got called out by a couple of listeners. Why do you guys always say he dies? I'm like, listen to the whole show and you realize that we say he dies, but then we say he got disfigured we're all over the place. We, the, the whole, the idea, the point is, I think most people could understand he's, he's removed. He's removed. And, and I'm sorry, Pike goes on. To he might as well living. be dead. I he mean, might as well be dead poor, at that point. The poor dude can't speak. He looks like melted Tupperware. And essentially he's going to be forced into a dreamlike state. That is going to be his heaven. Which, essentially. Oh my God. I, I do hope we get, no matter how sad it'll be, the ending of the show, it has to be a philosophical statement on the idea of living your life in a dream. In a dream. Yeah. And that's the thing. Am I right of, though? Don't you oh, does that have to be that has to be how they end it? Oh, absolutely. Because I still I still say the one thing that haunts me to this day as a Star Trek fan is the final scene from from the cage is where they all see him on the viewer screen. They see Pike and he's not in his chair anymore. And he's just waving by and he goes, goes underground. And I'm like going technically all that, that we're seeing is false. Yeah. He's being brought underground by the aliens and being taken care of. That's well and good. But to, to Pike, he's back to himself when he's not. So it's a lie. Yeah. It goes, 
you can really see some Cartesian philosophy being oh, easily, used easily. for that. Yeah. All right. So let's bring it back to this specific episode. And I want to switch gears just a bit. Still keeping with Kirk. The moment with Anne and Kirk. Did that make were, you tear up? Well, a couple things. So first, let's talk about the family aspect. When she gets them to talk about his family. The idea that his father was never around. I mean, though that was an obvious emotional wound, it played true to Kirk's characterization because he used his absence. The idea that Kirk uses his father's absence and his mother's reason for said absence as motivation and motivation. personal growth is so on par with Kirk. If he's helping people who really needed, what was the line? If he's helping people who are in need rather than being with his family, then it must be important. It must be important. And that yeah. was his deciding factor to become a part of Starfleet. How powerful is that? That is such an illuminating aspect to Kirk's entire persona, personality, characterization, because these are things we have never had the chance to see when it comes to Kirk. But when you really start analyzing the Kirk mythos, you can really start to see how that idea does in a lot of ways serve as a proper framework for who Kirk becomes. He becomes a really complex character. Everyone, you know, thinks of him as very, the, a stereotypical character, but Kirk in himself is a very complex character. That's why I love that scene because you, you see it as that way, right? Where it's like, yes, he's using that as motivation and everything else. But then like, you can also see it as him still dealing with. What, what, like, is, what does he say, David? I, you know, I choose to face my pain, which is, which is also pain. a big theme in this episode, facing yeah. your pain. And then you have that moment in Star Trek five where he says, I need my pain. I need my pain. Then. This is an example of that. This pain of his, the way he perceives his abandon, his father's abandonment, abandonment, which he understands as an adult, it wasn't, but he uses that pain from being an adolescent and takes it as a strength. And then if you take that, take that adage, Mike, think about this, how, how much more complicated this gets uh, yeah. with that adage of what he says. And then later on as Star Trek fans, we know how he treats his son, David. Mm-hmm. It brings it all into perspective. Yeah. This is this is who Kirk is. This is why he he was more or less he copied his father because he thought this is how I succeed. This is how I'm going to let David succeed. And then and also he was respecting Carol Marx's wishes. And he was, he was he was he was respecting Carol Marx's <laughs> wishes, but in a lot of ways. But the unsaid, the unsaid. In, in that in that movie is very much what you're saying. And that's what I love yeah. about. Uh, that's what I love about Star Trek so much is like the the unsaid. That's when you why Star Trek is some of the best. When you see it's it, about, it's about the unsaid. It's about the unsaid. Yeah. Yeah. And also, also, David, in some respects, these feelings of abandonment could be the very reason he searched for family in his crew. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you, especially if you see the relationship with him and Sam, which is very, um, it's a bit of like sibling rivalry, it right? Is. Oh no, it is. It but is. it also can, 
we're seeing the beginnings of possibly why retrospectively they're fixing one of the biggest sore thumbs in the original series. And that's when Kirk's brother dies and Kirk acknowledges it with a shrug with a shrug. And then the episode moves on. Yeah. There is no moment of, of, of him thinking about the loss of his his brother. brother. There's no grieving process. That's the word I was looking for. There's no grieving process. And perhaps this is the first step in breaking their relationship further, showing that they're at odds because his brother can't get over the fact that Kirk is an overachiever. Is an overachiever. (laughs) And he's a pain in the ass. And that his father, you know, he's jealous because his father potentially views Kirk as the son that's doing the right thing, the right thing. And then you'd think you throw it around and basically you start to actually, and this is why I love about the unsaid in star Trek. You start throwing it around in your head and you begin to realize toss that with the adage that Kirk's mentality is space is a dangerous place. So he's already come into, he's already come to that point where he's understanding if stuff happens in space, while they're while they're federation officers it's acceptable you have to accept it and like that in itself is, is says a lot about kirk and it and how it molds his relationship with his family and why the relationship he gets with the crew of the enterprise is so different and so complex because it challenges his own ideals of what he thinks is right space is a, a dangerous place i understand that my brother put his life on the line and he, he, he sacrificed and died in the process. I will get over that. But then when it comes to Spock, when it comes to the death of Spock, it shatters him because that's his brother. That's his brother. That's his brother. McCoy's his brother. Doesn't those relationships, like this is why I like this episode because it takes everything we know about Kirk's relationships with with his crew, but specifically McCoy and Spock. And it justifies it and explains why he finds brothers in, in his crew like McCoy and Spock, because there's something getting in the way in between his ability to strengthen his relationship with his actual biological brother. So I do feel like this is the beginning of that in order for it to really come to a head and become more clear. They do need to continue to progress that aspect without making us hate Sam. Oh yeah. Because I feel like they did a good job showing Sam's own insecurities without making him look like a D bag while also pushing the idea of Kirk and his need for family and searching for that family within his crew that they did it. They did it just fine. But I feel like, over the next several seasons, they should continue to give us those moments so oh, that absolutely. when we get, so that when we get to that original series episode, everything becomes a little bit more clear. But that being said, David, I, this is the strength of the episode because you can tell that the writers had a deep understanding of James T. Kirk. And this is the first time, David, we actually were given the real James D. Kirk in Strange New Worlds, which is also a nice little nice icing on the cake. And that's why they needed to nail it with the other versions of Kirk. I don't think they needed to be 
perfect characterizations of Kirk because they were obvious different versions, right? So if they didn't get it perfectly right, it didn't matter. If they didn't cross all their T's and all their I's, no one's going to get upset. But now that this is the prime timeline Kirk, you have to get it right. And, and they knocked it out the park. Oh, yeah. Now, you brought up Leanne and Kirk's little thing. I like it. Like I said before, David, I like those relationships that have obstacles. You like tragedy. I do. I like <laughs> sadness. You like sadness. And the fact that Leanne obviously feels connected to Kirk and she doesn't know how to say anything to him without coming off as a complete a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I love what they're doing between the two of them. I hope they continue with that, but don't do what you did with Nurse Chapel and Spock. Even though it's okay play around a little longer with it because I do feel like they should have done that with chapel and Spock. And I, I'm not, I'm a fan of the foreplay, Dave, when it comes to television <laughs> relationships, I like the foreplay. I like working up to the relationship, but once you get to that relationship, many times we, even though we think we want it, many times the viewers don't want it. Don't want it. Because how often do we see relationships finally happen in TV shows and then it doesn't work? The chase is so much better than exactly than than the actual goal. The chase is yes. actually so, so you, much better. You get where I'm coming from. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like that's why I thought it was hilarious with the chapel. Uh, the 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 little bit of chapel and Spock we did get to follow up from the next episode was like essentially them coming together and say, "Okay, we understand each other's feelings. Let's just take it week by week." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, so they're gonna ball tickle us for." Pretty much for, for the rest of time now. And now we understand why, why Chapel and Spock are the way they are. Okay. And that's the thing. I, I agree with you. I don't want to see that for Leanne, especially of how dramatic that story was. Because it was a very tragic ending for her. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. We do need to take a quick break. It's something we have not been doing on our shows. And we do need to get back to it. We'll be right back. Put my stubble dumbass on you! Fire everything! Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no, no free stuff. stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Sesame. Why I'm like thinking you could bring in Jennifer Lawrence as if you do a prequel of number one Pike and Spock. If we go in back, the Kelvin time, now I would shoot myself. <laughs> if they do a prequel to a prequel to a, prequel. To a, reboot, <laughs> to a reboot, I fucking quit. <laughs> 
with you. That was what I was leading up David, to. David, why do you do things to make me angry? <laughs> why do you do this to me? It's <laughs> only you, David. So, ta-da. I pray to God that this is not true. Okay, David, I'm going to say I it pray. right now. If they do a prequel, do a prequel. to a prequel to a <laughs> to reboot, reboot, I fucking quit. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, Dave, I will not go see the movie. I don't care how fucking good it is. If you can't move past the past, <laughs> you're a fucking asshole. There's no reason. Move forward. <laughs> if Gene Roddenberry was looking down on us right now, you're a motherfucker. Can't be original. He's all, this is the last time I leave my sons in control of my estate. Bunch of asshole children just want my money. <laughs> Star Trek from the holodeck exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com or search for it wherever you listen to podcasts. End simulation. All right, Dave, so continue your thought. You were getting into Spock and Nurse Chapel. Well, with Spock and Nurse Chapel, it's, that's why I 100% agree with you that I don't want to see the same thing with Leanne, where it's like the dramatic tone that was left off with Leanne, where she was just shattered. She fell in love with this guy that now does not know who she is, and she is not allowed to tell him anything. I had, I, because, there was a moment that seemed like she might have, like she was going to. Yeah. But Leanne understands that basically, Leanne. She, or Leanne understands that basically doing anything out of the temporal thing could. Temporal. Temporal. <laughs> temporal. <laughs> Tempora. David, but, you need to start correcting me when I say wrong words <laughs> because I go, I do playback for uh, critique reasons. I listen to our show off and on to see where we mess up and where we can improve. And I noticed that I'll mess up words. I'm like, where's my backup? Where's my backup? I just let you do what you want. Don't no, worry. I get no, it. No, dude. There was a few times where I messed up really bad. I'm like, what the fuck word is that? It's like, I know what he was saying. I understand where he is. No, you need to interrupt me. But like. Please. With how me not look so stupid. That's, that's why I wanted to ask you. Are we going to see the end of this story? How does this end for Leanne? How does it end for Laanne? Because like, okay, we know that she's not part of the original crew. We know that, but also there's a lot of wiggle room there because there's so much history we didn't see, Dave. When you go from the original series to the motion picture, how many years pass chronologically speaking in universe? How many beds did Captain Kirk sleep in? <laughs> so you think of the time from the original series to Star Trek Two. He had a son. We didn't see any of that. We didn't see his relationship with Dr. Marks. Yeah. So there's plenty of time to do things. That's why I believe it's only a matter of time before it may be five years. It may be eight years. It may be 10 years. It's only a matter of time before we see. Oh God, dude. Once a, they actually. A, 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 not a remake, but a reboot of sorts a retelling a retelling yeah. of the original series though once they get to the point where they introduce carol marks holy crap that's gonna be really messy what was the idea that they had before the motion picture for star trek remember we talked about this they were creating a network specifically for the new star trek series yeah 
they were going to be, it was going to be a continuation of the original series with a lot of changes. Changes. It was going to actually have different characters in positions. Yeah. Like, I believe that the, the original cast, there was going to be a brand new Vulcan character that was going to be introduced. Um, I forgot what the character's name was. And I know that hardcore Star Trek fans are yelling at me, but essentially with the, that, that idea that Gene Roddenberry had pre uh, the next generation was to try to actually continue on the story of the enterprise, which is hilarious nowadays because now you see like where Paramount is Star Trek phase two. Yeah. That's what it was. Star Trek phase two. When you look at what Paramount's doing right now, you could kind of make the argument that they're doing a Star Trek phase two kind of feels that way, or at least they can work towards that. How awesome would that be if they actually eventually get us to that original 1970s concept? Now the details for Star Trek phase two, I will share them because there may be listeners out there who were unaware of this. There was an unproduced series called Star Trek Phase 2. It was intended to be a direct continuation of the original series and was initially developed in the late 1970s. The concept for Star Trek Phase 2 emerged after the success of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was released in 1979. I believe that's incorrect. I don't think it emerged after the success. It actually uh, preceded the motion picture, and the motion picture came out. out because of Star Trek Phase 2's failure to get produced. In fact, I believe they took a lot of the the development of Phase 2 and tried to utilize it in some way for the motion picture. Yeah. If I'm incorrect, please, listeners out there, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. But I believe that was the gist of it. If they, if they work towards that, though, yeah. that would be pretty cool. I think so, because if I'm not correct, uh, the it was... Phase two was supposed to explain that there was a brand new captain. Like Kirk was gone by that point. And then we would see, uh, what was the captain's name in, in motion picture? Decker. Decker. We were going to see Decker. Yeah. Wasn't he supposed to be the phase two captain? Yeah. Yeah. He was going to be phase two captain. So it would have been, it would have been interesting. I would have really enjoyed to actually see how we got there. Because if you think about it, just like by Canon standards, we go from the original series to the motion picture. And when you watch the motion picture, if you watch the entire original series, it is such a jarring change because like all the characters are in different places than you'd think. Spock is not on the enterprise. He, he has decided to follow the Kulinar and basically go back to Vulcan. Kirk is not the captain anymore. He's the admiral. What if we find out the reason why he decided to pursue the Kulinar was because his relationship with Nurse Chapel oh, fell apart. Oh my god, dude, that would be sad. <laughs> why do you like sad things, Mike? <laughs> are we <laughs> not writing like, Star Trek? Why do you like sad things? Tell me that wouldn't be awesome, though. <laughs> the reason why he decided to go through, through with purging all of his emotions was because of the failure of that relationship. Of that it was relationship? too much for him to take. Oh my be? god, dude, that'd be amazing. And it would put the, the moment when Chapel yep. sees him on the motion picture and it that sad look because she he ignores her basically that yeah. that would make so much sense wow david wow we, need, it, we need that asap and dude it would explain why chapel is not in any of the in any of the other movies afterwards because she would have left that could have forced her to leave the federal uh leave 
Starfleet. Well, she became Deanna Troy's mother later. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> that is true. Magically. <laughs> yeah. So going back to some of the moments that made this episode so great, uh, you had touched on it, the Spock and Chapel stuff. That, it wasn't a whole lot there, but that's why this episode was good, in my opinion. It was because even though it wasn't a major focus, they still gave us just enough to remind us of what's going on in the background. And then you yeah. had the uh, Pelia and Una stuff, which were great. I love the oddball characters. Sure. Doctor, yes, the doctor from Voyager. You also have the um, the comedian in Discovery that I like a lot as well. Oh, oh, um, I can't remember his name. No, her name. Well, what, what's um? Yeah, it's the engineer. Can't Nataro. Yes, it's the comedian Nataro. I forgot who she plays now in Star Trek Discovery. I forgot her name, but that's why I like her character a lot too because I love the eccentric. Uh, sometimes cantankerous characters. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best way to say it because Palea, Palea fits that to a T, dude. I she's won me over. It took me a while because, like, when they first introduced her, I'm like going, I Reno. Oh, Gen, uh, yeah, Janet Reno. Yeah, and like when they introduced Palea, I kind of was like, we gave the sideways glance. Why is this character here? Okay, but. It's amazing. Just like Hammer from season one, Palea has turned into my favorite character because of how quirky she is, how essentially they threw the idea that there's a there's an alien race that we have never seen before that is immortal that lives on Earth during this time and has just been living this whole time without actually being, you know, known in Star Trek lore. You know what's funny is that the way they are presenting her character, it actually makes sense if you were someone who could think of an old person, you know, in their 80s, 90s, who just doesn't give a shit. Like whatever, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna say what I want to say. I've lived my life. I'm jaded. I've been through all this bullshit before. That's pretty much who Pelia is. Who Pelia is. She's just this person who's been around for so fucking long. She's had enough. Yeah, and she doesn't want to be told what to do because she she's already lived so long. Yeah. That it's like when Una when Una comes around and starts arguing with her, it's like I'm like going, uh, Una, you have no idea who you're arguing with. I laughed so hard <laughs> when Una was like, Look at your uniform. What are those crumbs? <laughs> when did you have time to eat? I actually laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't do a lot when I'm watching shows that there's something about the way she delivered that line at the yes. same time. They, they framed Pelia with all <laughs> with her disgusting uniform. uniform. It was good. And I'm sorry, Haley at this point would be an absolute awesome addition to lower decks. Now, why do you always go back to lower decks? Because lower, lower decks, decks is, is not the end all David. Come lower on. decks is amazing. That's the yeah. end game. <laughs> Lower Decks is, is fun. It's, it's that is fun. the end game, Mike. That is the end game. Not everything needs to go back to Lower Decks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this does bring us to the end of our show. Final thoughts, Dave. Go ahead. Final thoughts on this one. Definitely a stronger rebound from the last episode. I gave the last episode around an 80, 86, I think. But this one was a strong rebound. I think that this one is a 90 for me. I really liked every single element in here that they introduce. And now I'm more comfortable saying, I know what the thorough line is because remember last episode, we were told we don't know what the thorough line is. What the hell is the point of Pike? What the, 
what is the story that we're going for? Now I can fully say, no, the thorough line is we are gearing up to see Captain Kirk, Spock, Uhura, the original crew take control of the Enterprise, and Pike is the steward. He's going to make sure this happens. So you're, you're thinking that the show's slowly going to put pieces into place. I think pieces are going to be slowly put into place. That's why I asked you I'm earlier. I'm okay with that idea, Dave, because it, it only makes sense that we work towards the future we know is coming. Yeah. But at the same time, I do feel like this is a show called Strange New Worlds and our core cast, they do need to be our core cast. Yes. Now, what they're doing with Kirk so far is just fine. But if they continue to go in that direction, they have to be careful because they might as well just create another spinoff. Let this show be its own. Oh, yeah, yeah. At Absolutely. least for the time being and slowly drop those pieces. Yeah. That's why earlier I asked you, how long can we accept, you know, seeing the story of Pike? Being the steward, do we say another season? Do we say two seasons? Yeah. Do we say three seasons? You know? Oh, I think we can. I think we have a long time with this crew. I think we, I think we can. I think we can pull it if off. If anything, they can go the more traditional seven seasons, which I hope they do. Because if they do five seasons like they're doing with Discovery, that means we're going to have 50 episodes of Strange New Worlds. That's fucking bullshit. Well, I'm definitely worried about like... And this is outside of like Star Trek. I'm definitely worried about the the state of Paramount, the way they do their series nowadays, because it might be, we might be stuck only getting like five, six seasons. This is what's going to happen, Dave. I'm going to call it out now since we have a few extra minutes here. If Paramount Plus cannot get their shit together, they're going to go back to their original plan and strategy, which was to release Star Trek on regular network television. The point I'm trying to make is that in order for Star Trek to have a real future, because when you start looking at these numbers, it isn't sustainable to keep all these shows going. That's why it makes sense. Unfortunately, it does make sense why they canceled Prodigy, while why they are bringing Discovery to an end, and why they are keeping episodes down to 10. Mm -hmm. They're trying to save money. Yeah, but... That the thing is, is that I feel like this show will suffer in the long run. Strange New Worlds. No matter how great the writing is, I do feel like this specific format will inherently hurt the end product of Strange New Worlds because of its limited episode count. Yeah. They need to boost it up. And the only way they can do it currently, financially speaking, is by releasing the seasons on regular network television, perhaps later. Like they were doing with Discovery. If you remember, that's what they did with Discovery's first and second season uh, during the pandemic. And they, they saw huge uptick numbers. They did. That's what they need to do. They need to release Star Trek maybe two years delayed if you want so you can still bring people into your streaming services or bypass streaming completely and put your shows on regular network television. And this isn't like Discovery season one that had mature ratings that you couldn't put on regular TV. There's no censorship needed. You have a show that's relatively, I would say TV 14 when it comes to content, right? Yeah. You can repurpose these shows or produce star Trek once again on regular network television. I don't really want to see it go to network television. Cause I feel like some overall quality will be lost in terms of production because television on network TV is, is far more factory 
Yeah, there's almost like a almost you take a back step. Yeah, but I I feel like they can split the difference. They can find a a better way to make these shows work. But if you want Star Trek to have a future, this is the problem I see. You're not going to create a future for Star Trek with 2 million people watching your episodes. Exactly. You're not. This is why we need movies. I'm going right back to that. I've said this so many fucking <laughs> times, David. Movies is what will keep your franchise alive ultimately. Yes. And that's why they need to focus on that because you can reach countless millions of people when it comes to movies that will then say, you know what? I went to go see a movie with my uncle Jones during a summer vacation. That Star Trek film was pretty great. What else is there when it comes to Star Trek? That is how franchises like Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter and all the biggest IPs have managed to survive it's because yeah. of those tent pole pictures. And that's what they need to do with Star Trek because the streaming services is not the end all or answer to longevity when it comes to Star Trek. It's great for now, but eventually they're going to have to find something that really breaks through to the mainstream in a really big way. And it's a shame that more people aren't watching these shows. It is. It Especially is. when you watch an episode like this, which I'm going to give a 95%. I think this is the best episode of the season, hands down. Ooh, that's... Uh, wait, 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 wait. It's, it's the best, Dave. Like, content-wise, maybe not. I, that the Kirkland and episode. That's what like, I was about to say. Content-wise, I believe that was episode three, might yes. be the better in terms of content. In terms of writing, this is a far better episode in the ways of writing. And how much ground they covered. They covered a lot of ground and connected a lot of pieces. That is true. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.